Amen. Amen. Take your copy of God's Word and turn to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32 we'll look at this morning. You know, when I walked in this morning, there was a sense of anticipation. There was a sense of excitement. I don't know if you felt it, but I experienced it when I walked in. And uh, I tried to note kind of where it's coming from. Sometimes you can tell certain sections of the church, certain groups. You, you can almost experience something from them. And I was trying to locate this sense of anticipation. And I recognized that it was located mainly in our younger folks, in our children in particular. And I thought, what in the world would they be so excited about and anticipating today, today? So I began walking around and talking to different ones, and you could hear prayers going up. <laughs> the prayers did not center on Brother Reggie. They didn't center upon the message. They didn't center upon the worship. They simply centered upon the need for ice and snow <laughs> so that tomorrow they would be out of school. Did you hear those prayers this morning when you came in? And you know what was also interesting? Is I located that prayer among some adults as well. <laughs> Teachers! Well, we will pray and we will see what the Lord does tomorrow. But as of now, we are having church tonight, and that means we're coming for chili, right? I told someone in the back today that if there's one, greater, one great motivator that will overcome any obstacle in a Baptist life, it is his or her appetite. I mean, he will show up or she will show up for something to eat. So don't forget tonight, chili. We're coming together. We're going to have ice cream as well. We may just go outside and just enjoy it. I mean, the ice cream will be wonderful just to complement our weather or so. So just let's pray. Seriously, we do want to pray that God would grant safety uh, tomorrow and this evening and throughout this time. We want to lift up one another. Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. Over the last few weeks, we have talked about Jesus and his hands-on mission. I mean, God has called us to be hands-on. And he has given us this example through his son, the Lord Jesus. Jesus was one of those individuals that just simply could minister to people. He could touch their lives. He could call them to see a difference in who they were. And in this passage today, we see Jesus once again offering the call of discipleship to an individual to change his life and to use him to continue on in the kingdom's work even after he Jesus was to be ascended into heaven his disciples would carry on the work that he had started he would in a way pass the baton to them I want you to see this morning verse 27 the way Dr. Luke records this for us he says after these things that is after all of the work and the healing, the ministry that had been taking place in Jesus' life, he says, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. There were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, 
Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Here, Jesus offers this call of discipleship. It is a very simple call. He looks at this individual as he comes into his life and he simply says to him, follow me. The call of discipleship. Now, Jesus earlier had called individuals to follow him, to be his disciples. We had seen it earlier in this chapter as he had spoken to those fishermen and he had called them to come after him and to become fishers of men. Jesus is in the business of rearranging people's lives and bringing them into his kingdom so that they would follow him, so that they would learn from him. Somewhat of an invitation to just simply be with Jesus daily and learn from him so that they might be able to take forth the message of the kingdom. That is discipleship. Now, discipleship is becoming more like Jesus. I would say the goal of discipleship is to become more like Jesus. Every day, you've heard me mention this before, that one of our tests in our lives should be, do we look more like Jesus today than we did yesterday? Right? Said that before. You've heard that. Do we look more like Jesus today than we did yesterday. That is the goal of our discipleship. But how do we attain that goal? We attain it through simply following Christ. Years ago in our churches, many of our Southern Baptist churches had certain programs on Sunday afternoon. You remember around 4.30, 5 o'clock, depending on when your evening service time would occur, 4.30, 5 o'clock, maybe even as late as 6, many of us would gather and we would study together. It would not be Sunday school because Sunday school was that Sunday morning. But we would have these times set aside. And when I was growing up, the name had changed some, some and it had been modified. But when I was growing up, we reached a point where we were calling it training union. You remember those days? There those training union days and the goal of those moments basically to train believers uh it was set up brother loy i I think i'm remembering right in sunday school you were studying the scripture and you were to have an open opportunity for people to come in at any point in their lives and any point in their journeys and they would study together but in the evening and before you came to evening worship you would have that time of training union later even was called discipleship training, I think, in which you would come and you would focus on uh, more specific things, narrow, doctrine perhaps, church history, different types of leadership uh, development that you would have during those moments. You would call it discipleship training or, again, training union or even some names earlier. Some of you remember, right? If you don't ask Dale afterwards. He knows all of those. He was around when it was developed and brought through. But... It was a time of discipleship. Now, I'm not taking away from that time. Actually, I think uh, we would do well sometimes to, to come together a little more often and focus a little more in a narrow way on specific subjects to train ourselves. Certainly, we could. 
But I want you to see that Jesus' idea, the call to discipleship for Jesus, was one that was basically rooted in lifestyle and who you are. Here he looks at Levi, who we'll really know as Matthew, and he will simply say to him, follow me. What was Jesus' plan or methodology for discipleship? It was not just a one-hour seminar or class on the Sabbath. Now, God could take those things and he could use them, but that was not just the way Jesus would disciple these individuals that would come after him. How would Jesus disciple them? By spending every day, every opportunity with them, teaching them, instructing them, calling them to a life, modeling before them what it looked like to follow the Father and to be in communion with Him. It was a simple call. Follow me. My lifestyle would then take upon the lifestyle of my master or my Lord. For Matthew or Levi, he comes to follow Jesus. And I would suggest to you that while it is important, it is important, it is significant for us to come and to worship together and to study together and for us to sharpen one another in the work of the Lord, I would say to you that the way that God continues to want to disciple us and work within our lives is for us to daily stay with him, for us to daily learn from him. In other words, I'm not going to become the disciple I want to become simply by attending a Sunday morning worship service once a week. Did you hear me? It can help me. Some of you saying, did you just say I don't have to come on Sunday morning? It's not what I said. It is important for the people of God to come together and learn and study. It is important. But you cannot become the disciple God wants you to become by simply coming on Sunday morning. God wants you, when he calls you, to commit to a lifestyle of following him. How did they know who Jesus was? How did they know his heart? How did they recognize the kingdom priorities? By walking with him every day. By laying down at night. After hearing the words of Jesus, after following Jesus daily... They would lay down at night and ponder in their hearts the things that God had taught them and shown them. And not only through the teaching, but the miraculous power. Notice in the last few uh, weeks how we have studied the healing presence of Jesus and his hands-on approach. I mean, simply looking at that would instruct them and encourage them to follow him. I mean, can you imagine? I, I, I've tried to. Now, I know, I know that sometimes I allow my, my imagination to run wild, but I really do try to imagine what it must have been like to walk with Jesus in these different areas. I mean, imagination can be a good thing, right? Right? Please agree with me. I, I told Abigail that imagination is a good thing. She's working on a book report. We're praying for snow tomorrow, so it doesn't have to be turned in. You know what I'm talking about? 
but she's working on one. I told her yesterday, imagination's a good thing. It, 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 it is a good thing. And you need to imagine and get, get things written down here on this paper. You know, it's imagination. I try to imagine to sit there, to walk with Jesus. And yes, to hear the authority with which he would teach. Because the scripture says that he would teach with this authority. But then to sit and, and watch the miracles, the power, the work that he could perform. Just in the verses before, the verses that we're looking at, in verses 17 through 26, they had seen the one who was paralyzed. They had seen not only how God had worked to bring healing to him, but indeed forgiveness to him. I mean, how they must have been encouraged, as disciples. I mean, to sit there and for us to be able to think of watching that power before us. That moment would inform their lives and discipleship much more than a simple lecture that they would sit in here because they were walking with him. They were following him. They were listening to him. Follow me. Now, earlier Luke had said he looked at these fishermen. We believe four in total, James, John, Peter, and presumably Andrew that was mentioned earlier, that he looked at them and said, we want you to be fishers of men. We want you to come and we want you to catch men. Other gospel writers say that he spoke to them in a similar fashion. Follow me. Come. Just as a rabbi would say in those days, you come, you listen to me, you allow me to teach you and inform you, you spend your life with me. Follow me. That is still the call today that Jesus extends to us. To follow him, to follow him every day of our lives. It must be a lifestyle discipleship that comes to us. That every day we are listening to him, we are hearing his word. That every day we are looking for the power and the work of God in our lives and in others. That every day we follow. That is what God calls us to do. And you know what? We're able to look at others then, not in a boastful way or in, or in an arrogant way, but we're to look at others and we're to say, you come and you follow. You, you follow me as I follow Jesus. You think that's so boastful and arrogant. But remember what Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. He looked at them and he said, you become imitators of me. Not because he was taking the place of Christ, but because he was leading people to Christ. And we, God has called us still to disciple one another. One of the strategies we ought to have in our lives is for us to intentionally see individuals that we have influence with. It could be friends, it could be relatives, it could be uh, our children as we are bringing them up that we, as we spend time with them and model the very example of Christ, that we are discipling them. In your Sunday school lessons this morning, you'll talk about passing the baton. We are called to call people behind us that will follow us into the life 
of Christ. Follow me. That is the call of discipleship. Every day developing. Some of you professors, you will probably resonate with this quote, but somebody once went to a professor and they said to him, they said, hey, we heard so-and-so was one of your students. Some of you probably get that every now and then. I'm sure people today still go back to my professors and say, hey, we heard Reggie was one of your yeah, whatever. <laughs> this individual said, we heard that he was one of your students. And the professor, in a devastating kind of way, looked at this individual and said, well, he took my lectures, but he was not my student. And it got to the heart of it, that you can hear you can sit through all of the lectures. You can sit through all of the words. But until you follow, you are not truly the disciple God wants you to be. He looks at Levi and he says, follow me. Now, the candidate of discipleship in this case is a very unlikely candidate. That one which is called by Jesus is an unlikely candidate for discipleship. I mean, look at this. It says, this is Levi, who was a tax collector. He was sitting at the tax office. An unlikely candidate, because in that New Testament day, as the rabbis had written, tax collectors were basically the same as thieves, robbers, for some different reasons. One, basically what the Romans would do is they would farm out to individuals the responsibility of collecting taxes. So what you would do is you would go to the official and you would have so much money and you would bid upon that position. If you would outbid others, you could have that position and then you could go and then you could begin collecting taxes. And... In that day, unlike today, right, there wasn't a whole lot of equality in the tax structure or standard. And what you would find is somebody like Levi or Matthew, he would be sitting in his like toll booth around Capernaum and as people would approach, he would stop them and collect their taxes and he could basically set upon whatever they had, their materials, he could set upon them the value of, of what each thing represented. So he could set no standard. He could just set it. And you could see. You could see the opportunity for fraud right. So he could just charge them what he wanted. He could collect what he wanted. Because he had to collect so much. In order to make this a beneficial position. Because he had bid so much in the beginning. So many believed they were simply thieves. And not only that, but they were doing business with Rome. And for them, that, that type of collusion, that type of collaboration offended their national sensibilities. And they believed that these people were basically traitors. So what does Jesus do? 
he goes out and finds him a tax collector. The most unlikely candidate for discipleship, he goes out and he finds Levi at the toll booth. And he says, follow me. And in verse 28 it says, so he left all, rose up, and followed him. His response. Let me give you just a little bit of lesson. I don't talk about Greek too much. I had a professor at Blue Mountain, an old English professor that taught me Shakespeare that said you ought to never call a preacher that knows Greek or been to the Holy Land. She said, because if you do, you'll never hear anything else but Greek and the Holy Land. That's all you ever hear. So let me just give you a little bit of it. A little bit. In the original language of the New Testament, when you look at the verbs, the verbs communicated not only the tense, that is, when this happened, but it communicated the action, the kind of action that occurred. So when you look at verse 28, it says, He left all, rose up, and followed him. Literally, the first two verbs are in that decisive type of tense. It would, you could translate it something like this. So he decisively, at a point in his life, this specific moment, he left all. He specifically, at a decisive moment, this time, he rose up. And then Dr. Luke changes the verb tense. And the word followed. And it's one that communicates a continuation of action. In other words, at a decisive moment, moment, immediately he left all, he rose up, but he continued to follow Jesus. This unlikely candidate, just leaving it all, immediate response. Some people are amazed. They uh, think that perhaps Levi had had some encounter with Jesus before, and maybe he had. Certainly he would have heard about Jesus by this time, and Jesus' ministry around Capernaum. Maybe he had met with him face to face. We do not know. All Dr. Luke communicates to us is that this is an immediate and decisive action upon his part. And God calls us to respond with such immediacy and decisiveness to the call upon our lives. And while people try to distinguish this from a salvation call and uh, maybe a vocational call, I don't see the artificial distinction. I think Jesus simply looked at him and said, follow me, because it doesn't matter who you are or what your vocation is, God calls us all to follow him and to do it with decisiveness. I'm still old school enough to believe this, to believe that this morning in this place, people can hear the message of Christ and they can immediately, decisively follow him. I believe it could happen this morning in this place. I believe the power of God can be so manifest and the Holy Spirit can speak and convict in such a way that that individual, maybe you, who would hear his message and maybe you've heard about Jesus and maybe you've heard the story over and over again, but this morning you feel that invitation penetrate your heart and as he says, follow me. I believe that you this morning can stand up from where you are and come forward and say, I will follow Jesus. I believe that God could still work in such a powerful way.
that we would decisively live all. It's been pointed out that, that Matthew, even more than the fishermen, may ha- have had the most to lose. Because the fishermen, well, guess what you can do is, if you're a fisherman? You can always go back and what? Fish. But for Levi, for Matthew... He was leaving behind this position that was so coveted by some and despised by others. He was leaving it never again to return. So what does he do? Verse 29, he throws a party. You got to love Levi. It says, then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with him. He, he, he decided he'd go home and he'd have a great party. As one commentator says, because no converted man wants to go to heaven alone. He calls everybody and he wants to throw Jesus a party and he wants to invite everyone he's known. One of my friends says that we ought to look at evangelism in our lives and we ought to look at the friends who are there. Friends, yeah, I said it right. Appropriately, that's not just my Mississippi accent. Friends. Our friends, our relatives, our associates, and our neighbors. F-R-A-N. Those individuals we ought to particularly target with the gospel. Because those are natural associations that we have. And Matthew calls them all and says, let's party together. Jesus is here. I want you to meet Jesus. And they have this great party but in the midst of celebration comes the challenge of discipleship the challenge comes from the religious leaders look what he says in verse 30 dr luke as he gives it to us again he says and their scribes and pharisees complained against his disciples saying why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners Again, in the original language, when you look at their question and you see this idea of tax collectors and sinners, the original language, Dr. Luke places only one article there. In other words, to refer to the whole group as one. In other words, tax collectors, sinners, they're the same. Why are you eating with them? Eating means that you have are fellowshipping with them in some ways that you have accepted them. Why have you done this? And perhaps the Pharisees, they were standing outside and they were seeing what was happening in that house. And they were seething. And maybe it was when the disciples were coming out after the party or maybe it was during a party. One of them had, had just slipped out for a moment to get some fresh air. And the Pharisees, they said, why would you do this? And see, there's a challenge. Because when you think of the candidate, the unlikely candidate that God brings to discipleship, there will always be individuals who will question worthiness and question the call. But I love the way Jesus answers this. Don't you love Jesus' answers? Jesus simply looks and he says, well, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those 
who are sick. He says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He says, well, you know, a physician deals with the sick, and I'm a physician. Dr. Luke, the physician, records the words of Jesus as he identifies himself as a physician. And Dr. Luke must be thinking in his mind, even as he's writing this down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he must be thinking, this is a Jesus who, as a good physician, comes for those who are sick. And he says, that's who I'm here for. It, the folks who are sick, well, obviously, you say the tax collectors are the same as sinners. They need me. And I'm not come for the righteous. Now, was Jesus saying that the Pharisees and the scribes were great with God? Their relationship was fine? That's not what he's saying here. He will have very strong words for them. But it's as though he says, I have come for those who are willing to humble themselves. Those who recognize their sickness. I've not come for those who are still caught up in their pride. And who still proclaim their righteousness. He says, I have come to bring healing to the sick. I have come to call sinners to repentance. And this will be the Pharisees' charge against Jesus over and over again. Oh, this is a friend of sinners. This is a guy who eats with sinners. What is he doing hanging out with sinners? Because you see, he, he, he used what Dr. Travis said was the old uh, way of certainly increasing the kingdom. Dr. Travis at Blue Mountain College, he used to say, you find one sinner, he'll lead you to a bunch of other sinners. That's the way it works in life. He found Levi, found Matthew, and he led him back to others that he can make a difference in their lives. He had come for the sixth. The challenge is that there will be those who will say, how in the world, why are you dealing with those kind of people? You know why we deal with those kind of people? It's because Jesus, he dealt with us. I, do you know how thankful we should be that Jesus is a friend of sinners? That he was really willing to reach down to save those who were sick. Because, my friends, every one of us in this place, every one of us in this place, every one of us has struggled with sin and that disease in our lives. But thanks be to Jesus, who has come to bring healing to us. And doctors who are in the house, listen to this. He diagnoses, he prescribes, he heals, and as Warren, Warren Wiersbe says, he even pays the bill for us in the end. Because he's the great physician who has come for those who are sick. And what he does is he brings salvation. And he'll do it in Levi's life, obviously. As Levi has responded in faith and has followed and continued to follow. And, and what Jesus will do as he ascends into heaven is he will commit this ministry to the disciples. To people like Levi 
or as we call him, Matthew. And what will happen is they'll go out and they'll keep sharing the word. Herschel Hobbes says that Jesus takes this tax collector that was so given, so given to detail and record keeping. And what he will do is he'll use him to pen our first gospel that we have in the New Testament. To tell the story of how Jesus loves sinners and how he eats with them. That'll be how Jesus continues his hands-on mission through people like Levi and the way he continues through us today. But again, the call of discipleship is for us to follow him. We may be unlikely candidates. We may be chief of sinners. But God calls us. There may be challenges out there for us to approach and for us to see that discipleship come. But my friends, God is greater than any challenge. And he can overcome even the wagging tongues of the religious leaders in order to bring salvation to people's hearts and lives. Would you hear Jesus today as he looks at you and he says, follow me? Would you respond immediately, decisively? Would you today commit yourself to taking that message and sharing it with those that God has placed in your life as you pass the baton, as you pass the message of Christ to others? Let's pray together. Father, we praise you this morning. God, we humbly come before you. We thank you that you have demonstrated grace to us, those of us, all of us in this place who, had, who have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that you loved us while we were still sinners. You loved us. And you, Lord, sent your one and only son for us. And God, I pray that we would respond today. We would respond by following you with everything in our lives. And God, that we would Lord, celebrate that with others and we would share your life and your love. God, I pray you just help us to be the disciples you've called us to be. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Would you come as God calls you this morning during this moment of invitation?